But for now, um, we're going to just a change of gear, and Finn's going to come, and he's going to, and Finn's going to come and he's and do our reading for us. Thank you. From Romans 8, verses 1 and 2. That's yeah. Romans 12. Romans 12. <laughs> it's just as well that someone knows what's going on around here. <laughs> Finn, thank you so much. That's really, really good. Um, if you want to look it up, you can get your mobile phones or a Bible out. And let's hear. Um, you might miss it. So should we give them a few seconds to sort of get um, ready for it? Romans 12 on your phones. And you will need this for the sermon. So if you could find that. That would be really, really good. So we give them a few more seconds. Or do you want to go for it? I've got it all. You've got it. They haven't. <laughs> they, they need to have it because they won't know what's going on otherwise, will they? So over to you, Finn. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, wholly pleasing to God. This is your true proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his God-pleasing and perfect will. Thank you. thank you, thank you so much. That's brilliant. It's quite a big deal coming up to the front of church. So thank you. Are we allowed to do rounds of applause at the six? I think we can. <laughs> yeah. So I get to, to speak on that passage now. Um, so I need to find it first. One of the things um, that struck me about the passage was it speaks about um, God's mercy in view of God's mercy. And everything that's in those two verses sort of flows out of mercy. And now that you've discovered that you're really good at chatting to each other, um, it's a lot easier for you to come up with examples for my sermon than for me. So I want you to think about examples of mercy. And I'm going to give you a bit of a clue from the dictionary about what mercy can mean. So it's kindness that makes you forgive someone, usually someone that you have authority over. So kindness to forgive but you might have a bit of power or someone has power in that relationship. Kindness shown to someone who um, have the right to punish or have power over you. So there's another um, example. And what about being on a mercy mission, a journey that's made to help someone who's in danger? always having serious problems. So if you can just think of any examples around that, what do you picture mercy or mercy mission as? Then it would be great to hear from you. So a little chat amongst yourselves.
So I might pick on some people in a few moments and to share. That'll scare you. No, I'm not going to do that. So can we think of any examples of mercy and that you've witnessed in the last few weeks, possibly? Does anyone want to sort of shout out the things that sort of came to their hearts and, and minds? Can you think of any that you might have seen on your, on your screens? This morning someone um, shared that um, they had a friend that had a place in Romania and they were going to this place to open it up, to offer it to refugees. I just wonder whether any others have got any examples of mercy that's touched their hearts just recently. So you've got a heart for the street children in Colombia. And I remember years and years ago, my son, who's he's now 27, um, he, he had a heart for the street children in Colombia. And we were going to this Christian conference um, called New Wine. And him and a few of his mates set up, um, they had a little bush. They were trying to, and they were scaring people as they were going past. <laughs> And uh, their idea for scaring people, they got told not to do it after a little while, but they kept on shaking the bush, and they were pretending to be the burning bush, but they were collecting money for people, um, for the street children. And because, because it seemed like a just cause, they let them get away with it for a little while, but Dad, <laughs> Dad was sort of called in. Anyway, um, mercy is something that we find throughout Scripture. Um, I think in a... Um, Abraham and Isaac, and Abraham went to um, sacrifice his child, but God had mercy and provided an alternative. I'm thinking about the people of Israel uh, that uh, were enslaved in Egypt, and God had mercy, and he set them free, and they went to a promised land, and they messed up again, and they needed rescuing again, and it goes on and goes on and goes on. Uh, King David and King Saul, does anyone know the story, King uh, Saul was pursuing King David and was trying to kill him. Uh, David got an opportunity uh, to kill Saul, but instead of killing him, he had mercy and just rather than cutting him in a bad way, cut the hem of his garment. Love and mercy um, are the motivation for Jesus coming to earth. Love and mercy are at the heart of the story of the Good Samaritan. Um, these were foreign people to each other. One probably had more power than the other. Uh, one was on the road uh, fighting for their life and someone came and had mercy and compassion and dressed the wounds and took them to somewhere that they could get fixed up. Or how about um, the prodigal son? You've heard this probably so, so many times, but the younger brother wanted... Uh, the inheritance, effectively saying to the dad, I wish you were dead. The dad gives the son the money. He goes and spends it 
on all sorts of inappropriate ways in wild living. And rolls, well, he ends up covered in pig mess. I'm not going to say exactly what it is, and that was unclean for Jews to do. And there's this picture of a father looking out with a compassionate and merciful heart. Uh, His son turns to come home and like that embrace in all that ugliness and stinkiness and rebellion and etc. But the father's love for that child is truly, truly profound. But if we want to think of real mercy, we don't need to look much further than to look to the cross, to Jesus who came in person for you and for me. And from that cross, crying out, Father, forgive them. In view of this mercy, in view of God's mercy, we approach the passage and the invitation today, which is Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. The idea of sacrifice, I don't know whether it's a very popular notion these days, but we see sacrifice, but sacrifice sounds a bit costly. I'm not sure that I really want to be up for that. Um, But in the Old Testament, if you happen to be a chosen animal without spot or blemish, it was even more costly for you because you could have ended up on the altar. And um, I was reading about this. Um, It was a whole offering. They used to have these burnt offerings and they used to burn everything up bar the carcass, uh, the skin, I think. But pretty much everything used to be used. The blood was a symbol of atoning sacrifices, its forgiveness, and the whole body was burnt, and it, it was supposed to get God's attention, the aroma of it, get God's attention and to touch his heart. But the people really struggled to change. In Psalm 51, verses 16, um, we read that God wanted more than just sacrifice. It says this, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I'd bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise. Sacrifice is an outer expression of something that's happening inside. In Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, we're assured that actually... Um, We don't need to do these things in the same way anymore because Jesus is the once for all sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. Phew. (laughs) Hebrews 10. We've been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, this is Romans 12, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Um, I said this morning we did a baptism. We've done quite a few baptisms here. Has anyone 
been fully immersed, baptized just recently? There's one or two of you that have been, yeah. Yeah, I can see. So I think that's a really, really powerful image. Uh, second week of January, I shared this story. It's, um, it may be made up, apocryphal, but I think it's a good story. It's about the Danes and the Vikings. Some of you remember the story about when they got baptised, they used to get baptised with their sword, some of them, with their, I might be making it up, their sword carrying hands out of the water. Effectively saying, Lord, you can have all of me, but I reserve the right to kill people. Or... It could be our wallet. You can have all of me, but you can't have my wallet. Um, you can have all of me, but not my mobile phone, because I do everything on that, and I like to be in control of that, and that's got my diary on it. I like to organise my agenda, but out, God. You're not affecting my um, diary. But it could be all sorts of different things. It could be holding up in, in the air. And this is a really tough one for parents. It can be your children. God, you can look after everything else, but I know best for my children or um, my property, my house, my marriage, my other things. It can be all sorts of things that we don't fully surrender to God. But in view of God's mercy, God invites us to offer our whole selves to him as a living sacrifice. It's a tough call, but if God is God, it's a really sensible thing to respond to. It's sometimes really hard for us to imagine that God loves us more than we love ourselves. Some of you might find that easier to um, connect with than others. It's quite hard for us to imagine that God loves your wife and your children and your parents and all these things more than we do, more than we have the capacity. It's hard to imagine that God wants um, better for them than, than we do. But he is God and he is sovereign. And the only way that this works is for us to dare to offer the whole lot to him. And he gives them back to us. But it's as if he gives them back to us, cleansed and redeemed in the right um, in the right order. See, there's two different um, um, pitfalls, if you like. Sometimes uh, we can elevate things and people and our hobbies and whatever we do um, to a level that's just unhealthy, really, and they become an idol. They become the most important thing. And for some people, and I've been there, it, it can be our sport, but it can so easily um, be our families and our children. And I'm not asking you to love them less. I'm asking you to dare to trust your family and your friends to God. And that's quite a different thing. And the other extreme is that we can think of things far less than we should. And it can be family and friends and leisure and other things, and maybe we don't look after ourselves very well, and they're demoted to a really, really, really low level. Again, that's wrong. I was, um, I think it was a talk that I heard years and years ago, and it was before um, Alice and I had children, but I think it was someone called Rob Parsons, and he said, um, 
He hadn't met anyone that had got to their deathbed and thought that um, they should have spent less time with their children. Got to their deathbed and thought, well, I, I should have spent a lot more time in the office. Got to their deathbed and thought, I wish I'd ignored some of my best friends a little bit more than I did. All these things are really, really important. And the challenge of tonight is to get them in the right proportion. Not too elevated and not too low in the pecking order. We're part of a series um, which is a, f- a framework for freedom and it's, it's built on a rule of life. And part of what we're trying to do is identify the things in our lives um, that are really important to God or should be really important to God. And, and we'll have a conversation with him and we'll ask him to show us the things that are important. We know what some of those things are. And it's, the rule of life is going to be slightly different for each and every one of us because we've got different personalities and we've got different capacity and we've got different strengths and weaknesses and some things that we find easy and other things don't. So we've got this framework and we ask questions about these things. And tonight, we're looking at family and friends and self-care and leisure. And all of these things are really, really important if we get them in the right proportion. Um, whilst we're invited to offer our family and friends to God, we get them back <laughs> and God trusts us to look after them in the right sort of way. But rather than um, it being a living sacrifice and us offering our full selves to God, I've been guilty of probably, and this I'm figuratively speaking, putting my family um, on an altar maybe of neglect because I've been too busy worshipping at the altar of my ministry, or my career, or my selfish ambition, or, or, or. And I just wonder, if we don't bring everything to God, it probably gets put somewhere, and the invitation of this evening is to bring it to God and make sure that we do the right sort of loving investment. And we live in a culture... Um, where when it comes to family and friendships, and COVID has sort of done this in spades really, but I think um, if folks were lonely before the pandemic, those that were lonely, I'd like to hazard a bet they're even more lonely and isolated now. Uh, Before the serve, I think it was Alison that was praying, there's quite a lot of fear around. There's a fear about getting close to people. Does anyone else get a little bit twitchy about um, encroaching on other people's space? But these are all sensible measures, sort of medically, but socially, I think they're completely disastrous. And I long for a time where this changes and we can freely have fellowship and friendship together without this sort of worry. For someone like me, I've got to make sure that I have the presence of the mind to know this is important and book it in. Otherwise, 
it doesn't happen. And it's the same with some sort of stuff to do with self-care. Last week we were thinking about Sabbath. But um, uh, when to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and our neighbour as ourselves. I think we're encouraged to do sensible self-care, loving care, which for me, I've tried to remember to do some fun stuff during the week, but to do some exercise as well. If I don't do these sorts of things, it affects every aspect of my life. What is it for you that you need to do to invest in those nearest and dearest to you? And dare I say, not in an idolatrous way or a selfish way, hear me, there is ways of doing these things in an idolatrous and selfish way, but how can you do some self, godly self-investment in your lives that are going to help you to flourish? And if we flourish, we're more likely to be people that others want to be around. Um, when we um, decided to do this course, which Catherine's put together, and it's based on a book, God in My Everything, it, it asks some really, really deep questions. One of the um, chapters in this particular area talks about um, our relationships and how society views sexual relationships as well. And there's a whole section on that. There's a real encouragement to invest in our marriages and not stray from them, and to invest in our friendships and be faithful and be there when the going gets tough. There's really serious warnings about getting this wrong and having the wrong sort of investment. So there's a, a paragraph or two on, on pornography. Now, in my, um, when I was growing up, you had to, like I'm thinking when I was a teenager, you would have uh, got a crick in your neck if you thought about getting involved in pornography because it was always on the top shelf and you needed very long arms and, uh, and you needed to be very, very brave or very, very stupid to do that sort of thing. Um, in this day and age, and this is not just for young people, it's just a click away, isn't it? I mean, you don't have to answer that question, by the way, because that would assume that you knew. But none of us are naive around here. If you go to school in this day and age, or if in the workplace, this is all around us. And there's some research, isn't there, that um, if you get involved in that sort of stuff, it messes with your head big time, and it will mess with your relationships long term. So we don't do it, but actually they've got algorithms out there that sniff out the people, the ones of us that are most susceptible to that sort of thing, and all of a sudden you might be getting bombarded with this sort of stuff. Well, it won't do any harm. It's just a click away. Well, it does harm you, and it harms you long-term, and it harms your relationship with God as well. And we need to help each other, and none of us are immune from this sort of stuff. If you think that you are, there's temptation all around. If it's not that, it's something else. God invites us to bring our whole selves, the good stuff and the not good stuff, to him. And he wants to work with us to transform us and to help us to make some godly choices.
I just encourage all of us, whether it's in the youth group um, or if you're in a small group, to really deeply engage with this. I'm a bit embarrassed, actually. I went to theological college quite a long time ago now, and I was taught all this sort of stuff, rule of life and disciplines. I didn't want to have anything to do with that sort of nonsense, really. I thought I'd just sort of waft along as the Spirit sort of uh, prompted me. But the more I've done this Christian stuff, the more I realize that I've got to have some healthy disciplines in my life if I'm going to be doing this Christian stuff for the long haul. All of us want to do it for the long haul. These things that we're going through are just so so, so important to get embedded in our lives. I'm just going to close with a couple of words from Scripture. Back to what Finn read for us. Verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What's God's will for your relationships? What's God's will for how you do life-giving recreation in ways that love God, love your neighbor, and love yourself in an appropriate way? What will God affirm in your life? and what needs transforming. I'm going to close with the message translation of the same passage that we've had read to us, which Catherine's printed on some of the worksheets for small groups. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embrace what God does for you is the best thing that you could do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So help us, God. I'm just going to give you a few moments maybe to reflect on that. And Sarah's going to come forward and to, to guide us into a response to some of what's been said.